This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Wow, Jesus, he is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Uh, He is Emmanuel, God with us, and we are celebrating his birth here during Advent. And as we do that, uh, we remember that as Jesus came, he inaugurates his kingdom, the rule, the reign, the sovereignty of God on earth that we experience in him and through him. And he establishes his kingdom in our hearts and our lives and invites us to full participation as citizens of His kingdom in His kingdom work in the world. And as Tyler alluded to, uh, during Advent, we're doing a series called Regifting Christmas. All that was experienced in the fullness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All that we have access to. Uh, the transformation of our lives that occurs when we enter into relationship with Him, uh, when we have forgiveness of sin, when He fills us with His Spirit, in which our old person is crucified, dead and buried with Him, and our new person is raised to newness of life with Him. All of that, God intends that we live into. And that reality that is visible in our lives, that we are a part of His kingdom work in the world, making that available. Visibly manifesting that to those who don't know Him yet. And when we do that, we are re-gifting Christmas. The gift of our Savior Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, God in us, God through us. And so, the first week we talked about compassion. Last week we talked about His mercy. Uh, This week we're talking about justice. One of my favorite contemporary Christian writers and theologians, he's a man named N.T. Wright. Any of you ever heard of him? Dave, I know you haven't, have you? Okay. Well, I commend him to you. Uh, Anything that he writes is is worthy of your time to read. Um, But he reflects on our longing for justice. And in his book, Simply Christian, N.T. Wright begins his chapter entitled, Putting the World to Rights, with the following personal story. He says, I had a dream the other night, a powerful and interesting dream. And the really frustrating thing is I can't remember what it was all about. I had a flash of it as I woke up, uh, enough to make me think how extraordinarily and meaningful it was, and then it was gone. Our passion for justice often seems like that. We dream the dream of justice. We glimpse for a moment a world at one, a world put to rights, 
a world where things work out, where societies function fairly and efficiently, and then we wake up and come back to reality. According to Wright, our longing for justice comes from, quote, the kit of being human. Unfortunately, although we all strive for justice, we often fail to achieve it. As Wright says, you fall off your bicycle and you break your leg. You go to the hospital and they fix it. You stagger around on crutches for a while. Then, rather gingerly, you start to walk normally again. There is such a thing as putting something to rights, as in fixing it, as in getting it back on track. You can fix a broken leg, a broken toy, a broken television. So why can't we fix injustice? It isn't for a lack of trying. And yet, in spite of failures to fix injustice, we keep dreaming that one day all broken things will be set right. Wright contends, Christians believe this so because all humans have heard deep within themselves the echo of a voice which calls us to live with a dream for justice. And followers of Christ believe that in Jesus, the voice became human and did what had to be done to bring justice about. Now, a few moments ago, we prayed together the Lord's Prayer. There is um, a sentence there. I want to call it on the screen. We said together, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean when we pray that prayer? Another theologian, uh, George Ladd, writes these words. He says, This prayer is a petition for God to reign, to manifest His kingly sovereignty and power, to put to flight every enemy of righteousness and of His divine rule, that God alone may be king over all the world. That, that's what we're inviting. That's what we're praying when we say together, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. That we as participants in God's kingdom, you and I get to announce to all people in all places the rule and reign of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. To Him be the honor and glory forever and ever. We get to announce that. Even as the, the heralds announced the birth of Jesus, so we get to announce His kingship to our world. And we get to herald that, yes, our King who was born on Christmas Day is coming again. And we as His ambassadors in this place that really isn't our home, we're strangers in this foreign land, we as His ambassadors get to be a part and fully participate in His kingdom work. 
So when we think of His kingdom work and we think of, of God's work of dealing with injustice in the world, uh, we think of 1 John 3, 8. Uh, this is part of Jesus' calling card. Uh, this is His announcement of what uh, He has come to do. It says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, when we think of the works of the devil, we think of its influence on our lives personally. We think about uh, the sin in our life that is an affront to God. And we think how we were in desperate need of a Savior. Uh, one who could, what? Atone for that sin. One who, uh, through His death on the cross, through His shed blood, could give us forgiveness of sin and, and, and put us back in right standing and right relationship with God. And we think of that, that, that work of, of Christ on the cross and we, we look at the cross, we, we, we look at the center of it and we see that the mercy of God and the justice of God intersects right in the center of the cross. And the person and the work, the sacrifice of His Son Jesus for you and for me. But then, oftentimes we forget that not only did sin affect our lives and bring estrangement between us and God, but that sin literally corrupted, distorted every institution of society, all aspects of our lives here on earth. And it's in that corruption that, that we see and we experience all around us injustice. But we, as full participants in the kingdom, are called to be a part of Christ's work of righting those things that are wrong. And it's interesting. As we think of of, of Jesus and, and how He's come to destroy the work of the devil in the very beginning. As a result of the fall, uh, God announces that, that there's going to be one who is going to come and, and He is going to crush our enemy, the devil. In Genesis chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to that. Beginning in verse 14 where the Lord is, is saying to the serpent, who represents spiritually, saying to Satan, these words, because you have done this, you are cursed above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Now, listen to this. Verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now, how will we do that? And between your offspring and hers. Right? He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And so, when, when God is, is announcing what's going to happen, there's going to be enmity between the offspring of the woman and of Satan... He announces that the woman's offspring, right? What we're going to see in the person of Jesus, that He is going to destroy the enemy. He's going to destroy the works of the enemy. He's going to literally crush 
him. And it says that the enemy will, will strike at his heel. And of course, Jesus has the victory, but what did Satan do? He struck at the heel. He, he caused the Lord, Jesus, to, to suffer, but he didn't defeat him. He didn't defeat him. And we see that in Jesus Christ that, that he defeats the devil. So, our Old Testament reading, Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, is a messianic prophecy. Uh, it is a, uh, a prophecy that announces one who's going to be coming that is a, a, a servant king. And in these words, Matthew uses in Matthew 12 verses 18 through 21 to say that the prophecy in Isaiah 42, 1 through 4 is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Isaiah wrote, Here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. And, and as Matthew is, is recounting this in his gospel, uh, that looks back to Jesus' baptism. Remember when, when the Lord said, when God said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then it looks forward to the transfiguration where again we see that, that Jesus is God's son in whom he's pleased. So here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. And that really is the fulfillment of what Isaiah writes in chapter 53 of the book of Isaiah, referring to Jesus as the suffering servant. And then it goes on to say, A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not stuff out. And as Matthew is quoting this and writing this in his gospel, we have a picture of the people who have been abused, who have been exploited. They've been oppressed by the dominance of Rome, the occupying what armies of, of Rome. And, and they have been exploited and have suffered uh, under the, the harsh legalism that's been put upon them by the religious institutions of their time. And what Jesus is fulfilling in this, a bruised reed He will not break. He's coming with compassion. And those who have been abused, those who have suffered, those who have been wounded by this oppression and exploitation, that He's going to deal with them lovingly and compassionately. And it says, a smoldering wick, he, he'll, he'll not snuff out. And you get the picture of a, of a lamp with oil in it and a wick that's, that's smoldering because there's, there's almost not enough oil left in it for that, that light to burn. And, and when you think about that in terms of a people or persons who have gone through the oppression and the exploitation and the, and, and the abuse, that there's almost nothing left in them. They're almost ready to quit and, 
and to give up. And yet we see this beautiful picture of this servant, Messiah, who's going to come. A bruised reed he will not break and a a smoldering wick he'll not snuff out. In faithfulness, he'll bring forth justice. He'll not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. And then it goes on to say, in his teaching, the islands will put their hope. And when we think of that, really what that is, it's, it's giving us a picture, if you will, that his reign will extend out as far as people can see, even, even to the islands out into the Mediterranean and beyond. That's a imagery, if you will. That his reign, his rule, his justice will have no end. It will be eternal. And, and, and really what it's saying is that in his teaching, in him, in Jesus, in his identity, and in his mission, that we can put our hope. That we can put our hope. Wow, that's, that's such good word. What a promise that we have. And that we get to participate. We're invited to enter in to the fullness of that kingdom. The kingdom that we get a taste of and a glimpse of now, but that we will we'll see what? In its fullness when Jesus returns. And so, as we think of that, and we think of our, our own participation, we look at John 6, 38. Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. Now, you contrast that to our New Testament reading in Matthew 23, 23-24. And that is where Jesus pronounces seven woes upon the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And we read that. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. They were, they were so caught up in following the minute details of the law that, that in according to the law, giving the tenth of all that they had, including even the things that they had grown, the spices that they had from their gardens. They would carefully count it out and they'd want to give a tenth, a tenth. But, it says, you have neglected the most important matters of law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, they were only participating or only practicing part of the law, not all of what they were called to do in the law. And because they were so caught up in the minute things, they, they missed the larger things. There was an expression here in this church that uh, I believe uh, previous pastor used, Pastor Mark, keeping the main thing the main thing. And, and, and really what Jesus is saying here is, you have failed to keep the main thing the main thing. And then he, he uses this uh, illustration 
He says, you blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Right? And it was the practice because a gnat was considered unclean. And so when they would drink wine, they would pour the wine through a a filter to strain out the fruit flies and the gnats, the insects. Because they didn't want to violate the law and ingest something that was unclean. But camels were also unclean. And so what he's saying here is, you pay attention to such the minute, fine details of the law, but you neglect the larger detail. The camel of the law, if you will. And that's that justice and mercy and faithfulness. They were called to to be agents of God and helping to bring and announce His righteousness and to invite people to participate in it, but instead they perpetuated their own self-righteousness. They were called, as it refers to justice, to bring justice to those who are wronged. As it refers to mercy, to bring mercy to those who had done wrong and to faithfulness that they were called to to draw back faithfully as faithful shepherds and servants of the Lord and, and caring for the people to call back those who had been estranged from the faith, who had been marginalized. And yet they didn't do that. They didn't do that. And as a result, there was that oppression. And there was exploitation. People were marginalized. You, you see, even though they were well-intended, corruption begins to work in the very fabric of what God had established to point the way to Jesus. And instead, people were turning away because the weight of the religious and religiosity of the institution was too much for them to bear. So here's the question for you and me. What's going to be our response? How are we going to be those who are agents of God in bringing His compassion and His mercy and His justice into our world? Well, the first thing we have to do is to recognize that we don't live for ourselves. That we have been called to re-gift those very things that we have received from Him. George Latigan writes these words. He says, it has to begin with self-denial. Self-denial is self-centered. We can't, we can't have self-denial. But denial of self is Christ-centered. You see that? Denial of self means death, nothing less. Christ cannot rule. His kingdom cannot reign in my life until I count myself dead, crucified. That's what Paul writes in Ephesians where he says uh, 2.20, right? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. There can only be one ruler in my life. Christ or self. Michael Tate in his book, or uh, in the book Jesus Freaks, writes in this introduction. In a world built on free will instead of God's will, we must be freaks. While we may not be called to martyr our lives, we must martyr our way of life. 
We must put our selfish ways to death and march to a different beat. Then the world will see Jesus. So in other words, if we are going to live into His kingdom and and participate fully in, in His call to be citizens of His kingdom, and to be agents, those who express and re-gift that, that compassion, that mercy, and that justice that He brings. We must see ourselves as dead, but made alive in Christ. To live fully for Him. So here's the real question. Are you ready? Do we want just us? Or do we want justice? Do we want the emphasis and the focus of our lives and our relationship with Christ to center around us? Or do we want to be citizens of His kingdom and, and all that that entails? That we would announce to all people in all places the rule and reign of God through Jesus Christ. That we would live into that reality that, that we have entered into in Christ. Here's two important questions. Number one, does our heart break for the things that break the heart of God? When we see oppression, exploitation, injustice, corruption, abuse of power and authority in our world, does our heart break for that? And as we see those things, do we ask ourselves this second question? How come we can when others can't? You ever ask yourself that question? You look at the things that we enjoy. We, we look at, at our lives. And then we look out into the world and we, we say, wait a minute, how come others can't enjoy or, or live into expressions of justice that, that we can experience? And when we answer those questions, and if our heart breaks for the heart of God, and as our, our heart desires to see um, systemic evil, abuse, oppression, that, that is rampant in our world, it's all around us. We open our eyes to it. When we see those things, and when we commit to being God's agents in the world, we want to say, Lord, what would you have me do about that? How would you have me respond well, I want to just quickly um, suggest three things. Number one is we can pray. We can pray. As we see and are made aware of and we hear about injustice going on in the world, that, that we can intercede. I don't know about you, but we get things like this, Voice of the Martyrs. And we read about what's going on in the world, especially as it impacts the cause of Christ and other believers in other places. And this calls us to prayer. It makes us aware of what's going on. And so prayer is, is one of the ways we can respond. One of the ways we can be a part of God's work in the world in bringing kingdom justice. But another thing is to provide. Uh, to find out about what agencies or what ministries, what organizations are working against injustice? 
to bring biblical justice in the world and, and to give, to support, to aid in their work. And then finally, for you and I to pursue with our own lives, in our relationships, in our workplace, in the schools, in our service organizations, in our, in our community, wherever we go, that we would pursue biblical justice. That we would stand as a voice and act on behalf of those who are oppressed. Who have been marginalized. Who are mistreated. That's our call. Uh, Gary Hagan, who many of you know is with Inter- International Justice, uh, that organization. It's a ministry that works to free victims of human trafficking. Gary Hagan says that he's noticed what he calls the 1570-15 rule. Hagan applies this rule to criminal justice systems around the world, police forces, court systems, government systems, etc., He says the same rule applies to many other areas of the Christian life, leadership, service, and evangelism. Listen to what he writes. He says, The rule has no scientific precision, but it expresses the observation that within the criminal justice systems in the developing world, it seems about 15% of the personal wake up every day intent on using their coercive power and authority for selfish or corrupt purposes. Another 15% wake up every day with an earnest intent to do good and to serve the public. The vast majority, the remaining 70%, are simply waiting to see which of these two factions is going to prevail. As long as the brutal and corrupt 15% is prevailing, the rest of the 70% are going to go along and join the dysfunction and the abuse because it would be riskier to oppose that dominant ethos. I'm so glad that our King Jesus has declared His opposition to that. And you know what? As I think about that, And I think about who's called to deal with that, to address that, to be a voice in our world. You know what? Uh, Our our hope isn't a political party. It's not in a political party. Although we're invited to participate in that, and and we should. But but that's not our ultimate hope is. It's it's not in a, a, a donkey or in an elephant. Our hope is in the Lamb of God. In the line of the tribe of Judah. In His rule and in His reign and in His sovereignty. And the good news is that you and I are called to fully participate in His kingdom work. That we would be part of that 15% that would influence the other 70 to bring His compassion and His mercy and His justice in the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that our hearts cry out for justice. But Lord, we can't be satisfied when we are living in a just state or place of relationship 
Father, our desire is that that would extend to all people. That all would benefit from the rule and reign of God through Jesus Christ. And Lord, though we, we taste that, just a portion of that right now. Lord, our desire is to more fully manifest that in the world. That we would be a part of the 15% that would influence the 70%. And when we pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we ask it would start with us. In our homes, in our workplace, in our community, in our state, in our nation, and then in our world. Lord, would You awaken our hearts to live into and to gift others with all that you have given to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.